Let me pray before we begin to have a look at Ephesians 2, 11 onwards. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us and we pray that by your spirit, that as we read your written word, that we would see the living word, Jesus Christ, and in seeing him, trust him. We pray this in his name. Amen. It's worth having Ephesians 2 open, Ephesians 2 uh, from verse 11 onwards. And while uh, it says that we'll be looking at uh, verse 11 to 22, we'll actually be focusing on 11 to 18 today. There's a lot in this passage, there's all sorts of things that we could have been thinking about today, but I'm going to focus in on uh, just a couple of those things. Ephesians 2, verse 11 onwards. I was thinking uh, this week as I read this passage I was thinking that I miss home. Uh, in time, Sheffield will become my home, but uh, in these early days, as the, sort of the whole transition happens, I still miss home. I miss uh, lots of little things. I miss Australian accents in shops, uh, being understood. Uh, I miss the smell of gum trees. I miss Vegemite, would you believe? A great deal. Uh, Marmite is not the same, it's a poor imitation. So if you've been just using Marmite, if you can get your hands on Vegemite, try it. Uh, I miss eating outside, I miss weather that's warm enough that you could actually eat outside. Uh, I miss the moment you dive under a wave and you come out the other side at the beach and the water's warm enough that you don't feel like your whole life has been sucked out from you. (laughs) I miss 38 Jonquil Parade, Kellyville, New South Wales 2155, my home, or what was my home. I miss the passion fruit tree on the side that we planted and it produced one passion fruit in the whole time we were there. It was a great passion fruit though, (laughs) worth it. Uh, I miss the brown dying grass out the front. I miss the green metal fence. I miss lots of little things. And in time I won't. And in reality these things don't matter at all. I mean who cares about Vegemite? But they do, don't they? Imagine uh, you yourselves were extracted from your home. Imagine all the things that you'd miss, maybe the things that you take for granted, the things you don't even think about on any given day. What would you miss? I imagine there are a great many things that we'd miss. What if there was no way home, that you were far away from home but there was no way back? And what if rather than being far away from things like beaches and Vegemite and stuff like that, it was something that actually mattered? What if being a long way from home meant that you were separated from anywhere where you really belonged, anywhere where you had any sense of well-being and anywhere where you had any real security? What if being away from home meant you were away from those things and there was no way back? Well, as we look at Ephesians 2 and starting at verse 12, I think that's exactly what we have here. Paul, speaking about people like us, and we're referred here as Gentiles, that means non-Israelites, speaking about us, he says, remember, without God, before you became a Christian, or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, remember that you are a long way from home. He speaks about home, he speaks about the inside, if you like, being where Israel is. Israel, God's people, God's nation, the commonwealth of Israel. A nation that God had promised that he would lead. 
promised he would protect, promised he would bless. He says it again and again in their history that he would bless them. But those of us who are not part of Israel, Gentiles, Paul says, remember, remember who you were. When it comes to God and his people, you are an outsider, far off, a long way from home. You see it there in in verse 12, it says that the Jews scornfully referred to people like us as the, uh, the uncircumcision. And circumcision was a sort of a sign of membership for God's people and so we were the non-members, the outsider. And what he goes on in verse 12 to do is to show us the full weight of what it means to be a non-member of God's people, to be far away from God and far away from his people. And the first thing he picks up is he says, remember, you were separated from Christ. If you were here a few weeks ago when we were looking at Ephesians 1, that that amazing opening prayer by Paul where he talks about the blessings that have been given to us in Christ, we've been told that we've been given every spiritual blessing. Paul says, remember, you were separated from all of that. All of that blessing you were far off from. Before we knew Christ, we had nothing. And he goes on even further in verse 12. He says, remember, you were not a citizen You had no access to citizenship and no access to blessing. I was thinking about that this week and uh, I was reminded that on my visa that we uh, we each got a visa, each family member got a visa before we left Australia and in big letters on the front of the visa it says, just in case I miss it, it was giant letters and then put in bold, no access to public funds. No access to public funds. And to be honest, I'm not that worried about that, but what it's communicating to me, if you read between the lines, is it is saying, Andrew, you are not a citizen of this country. You are not, you are not able to access the commonwealth of this country. You are not part of us. You're allowed to visit here, but you have no access to our wealth. And for a Gentile to look back before Christ is to be like that. No identity and even no passport. God's people, the nation of Israel, were a blessed people. God had promised to bless them. He had bound himself to them. He had promised to be their king, but for us, well, we're outsiders. He promised to bless them, but that's not our promise, that's their promise. We have no access to the promises, to the covenants that he has made with them, it says in verse 12. And then it goes even further. Have a look again at the end of verse 12. To be far from home, to be without God, is to be hopeless. Have a look at the phrase Paul uses. It's a withering phrase about who we were without Christ. We were without God and without hope in the world. Without God and without hope in the world. To be outside of God's blessing, outside of his people, means to have no secure future. I mean, we might have many hopes, many ambitions and dreams in life, things that we live for, things that we think give us security and give us uh, meaning. I don't know what it uh, is for you. It could be to live for you and security for you is to have money. You know, enough money to pay the bills, enough money to enjoy life. That's security. Or maybe for you it's your career. Or to live is to to be fit, to be healthy. Maybe it's about relationships or about family. 
But hear what verse 12 is saying. Without God, whatever it is that we live for is hopeless. Utterly hopeless. Sounds hard, doesn't it? But think about it. Without God, whatever it is that we live with, live for, whatever it is that we think gives us our security, death comes along and takes it all away. Whatever it is, it renders it useless. Remember, says Paul, when you are far away from God and from his people, you are without hope and without God in the world. So there's the testimony of verse 12 of what an outsider looks like, of what it looks like to be far away from home. Far off is the phrase it uses and I reckon that phrase captures our world circa 2007 perfectly. Far off from God, far off from each other and far off from peace and no idea how to change it. If you look at verse 12, I think right at the start of it, it gives us the diagnosis, the heart of the problem, what's caused it all. See that first phrase, you were separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. Why does that matter so much? Well, to see why it matters, you really need to see Christ for who he is, who it is that we are separated from. The Bible uh, has a great deal of testimony about Christ, but perhaps my favourite comes in Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 onwards, where it describes this Christ that we were separated from. It says this, We look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up until this moment. You are separated from the one who is about to give you your next breath of air. It matters. This is his world, the whole lot of it. And so to live in this world separated from him just isn't going to fly, just isn't going to work. You see, the only way we can ever belong in this world, the only way we can ever have any real sense of well-being and any sure security for our future is with him. There is no other way. But we were. And for some of us, maybe this morning, we still are separated from him. Not even close. And I suspect for many of us that, that doesn't seem a big deal. We think, oh, well, so what? But God says to be in this situation is to be hopeless. Every pore of creation declares his glory. Every pore of creation declares that there is a God and yet we go at alone without him. And the worst part about it is the Bible says, as Ephesians already has said for us, we've brought it upon ourselves. Remember last week as we looked at the first part of chapter 2, we saw that we chose to go it alone. We have rejected God, rejected the citizenship he offered, rejected the blessing and the future that he offered. And to help us see just what has taken place, the Bible paints another picture of what this is like in Luke 15, the, the, the story of the lost son, the story of the prodigal son, gives us a picture of what this is like from God's perspective. I mean, I imagine most of you will know the story, the son who wants out, who wants nothing to do with his father. 
You know, he breaks all links. He basically says to, God, to his father, you know, can we speed up the process where I get the inheritance and I get my, my chunk of the money? Can we speed that up and just sort of get to that point now? Basically, I wish you were dead, is what he is saying. You know, let's pretend you don't exist. Let's pretend I've, I've got what you have. That's what we do with God. And as the story goes on, we see this son break out into what he thinks is freedom, into a far-off country a long way from his father and so begins a downward spiral that ends literally in the pits, feeding pigs. And so desperate is he, so far has he fallen that he looks at this slop that he's feeding them and he goes, gee, that looks good. It's a horrible picture, a complete fall, but it is a picture of how God sees our decision to separate from him, how God sees our sin. Do you see how awful being separated from God looks? There we are, in the pig pen, in all our glory. And so looking back at verses 11 and 12, we might think that, uh, you know, Israel's got it right. If we could just sort of get in with them, then all of that would be fixed. If we could just get in with the in crowd, be part of that city, as it's described, then things would be better. But again, if you were here last week, you will realise that Israel is no different to us. Remember we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, we saw that we were trapped in our sin, but get down to verse 3, and their situation is the same. They walk the exact same path, far from their God. Israel is just as lost, just as far away as we are. The first reading we had today, Ezekiel 34 Verse 1 to 6 speaks about that. It has God looking at his people and not seeing this this people who are close to him but people who are scattered like sheep on every hill and no one has searched for them, no one has looked for them. And so when you put the testimony of Ezekiel and Ephesians and the prodigal son of Luke 15 together we see a clear but somewhat disconcerting picture of our world, Jew and Gentile together, far away, And to see what it looks like for God is to see a grieving father who has lost his son. I remember reading about a story a few years ago in Australia and I'll read you some of the details of it now. On the 7th of December, 12 days before his 14th birthday, under the Keel Road overpass on the Nambour Connection Road in the Sunshine Coast of Queensland, On a Sunday afternoon, Daniel Morecambe went to catch a bus and he never came home. Three years later, he has still not come home. There's evidence of a car that might have picked him up, but that's about all they have. There's a website, danielmorecambe.com, and for the last three years, his parents have spent every waking hour looking for their son. They've run TV ads, radio ads, They've hired hot air balloons and put Daniel's face on it. They've had signs on all the motorways so all the cars can see it. They've had golf days, dinners, lunches, barbecues, concerts. In June of 2006, 1,500 motorbikes rode in memory of Daniel. In October of 2006, every school child in Queensland wore a red band to remind the state that he had not been found. In March of this year there will be a gala dance to raise further funds so the search can continue. His parents have been looking for their little boy for three years 
and he is still not found. And it breaks your heart, doesn't it? I look at this website from time to time and you still see that nothing has happened. There's no trace of him whatsoever. Well, that's how it feels for God. It breaks his heart that his chosen people, Israel, were scattered on every high hill. No one searched for them. That his world was far away from him, without him and without hope in the world. Well, God is like Daniel's parents and he has left nothing to chance. He sees our state and he grieves. And then he goes to extremes to show us how serious our situation is and to bring us home. In Ezekiel 34, as the passage goes on in verse 11 and 12, God himself pledges to be the shepherd. God himself says, I will search for my people. I will rescue them. And again in the, again in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we have clear testimony from God that he has done the same for us. John 3.16, he loves the whole world that is far from him so much that he sent his son And really verse 13 to 18 show us what Jesus has done to change our situation. I really want to pick up two things. The first is that through Jesus, through his blood, through his death on the cross, he has reconciled humanity to humanity and he has reconciled humanity to God. Have a look at it there, verse 13 onwards. You see, the difference that Christ has made is quite simple but huge when we remember what the picture of being far off looks like. It says here, you who were once far off have been brought near, brought near to God and brought near to each other. You know, this idea of closeness, of intimacy, of being close to God. You know, we sang before, uh, Emmanuel, our God is with us. It's all throughout the Bible, his promise that he will be with his people. But again and again in the Old Testament, the Gentiles are the ones who are described as not being in that situation. But here at last... We have one who speaks peace to those both near and far. It is in Christ, through his blood, that we have been brought near to our Father in heaven. Think on that for a moment. On the cross, do you see what God is doing? He is reaching out and he is drawing us to himself and to each other. We have been brought near. Ephesians 2 leaves us in no uncertainty that the central player in any peacemaking initiative that this world will ever have, any successful one anyway, is Jesus. Verse 14, he himself is our peace and being the very source of peace is it any wonder that it comes down to him to bring peace on this earth. You see there, verse 14, we've got two different descriptions of how he's brought peace. They're very different. He is the great creator And he's the great destroyer. That's how he's done it. He has created and he has destroyed. He has made two become one. He has taken two separate divided groups, Jew and Gentile, and he has brought them together. And then he has taken that group and brought them to God. And then what he has also done is he has destroyed the wall between them, the wall of hostility. goes on in verses 15 and 16 to explain the detail of that, this this law that Israel had, this law that made them unique, that separated them from the other nations, well, Jesus has abolished that law. Where Israel had failed to obey their God and obey this law, where Israel had failed to trust God their Father, Christ succeeded. And so when it comes to God's law, Christ alone is righteous. 
And in being this one obedient human for us, Christ in his flesh was able to do away with any division the law might have brought and to create a way for all, whether near or far, to trust him and to be made into one united community. Do you see how the community is described in verse 15? Do you see how close, how united it is? It is one new man, just one. And if you want to see that man, well, look around you. There he is, the Christian community, a community united to Jesus and to each other by the cross. I mean, isn't that the dream of our world, peace? being united, being one. Again and again you see that dream in our world, you see it in the Middle East, how desperate we are that there be peace there. And even closer to home, a place like Northern Ireland, that there be peace there, that the the troubles would end. But we humans, we we have no idea how to get to peace. Romans 3 says we don't even know the way. When it comes to Northern Ireland, I, I read that when the troubles were at their worst in the 70s, that they decided to build this wall between, I think it's Falls and Shankill Road. That's our world's version of peace. They call that wall the peace wall. God has done the opposite. He has pulled down any walls. And so you get the impression that any attempt of peace in this world, any hope that we might have, has to be through him. You watch, you look. Any time our world tries to make peace, there is something massive missing. And it is always Christ. You see, if all Christ did was unite us together as humans, if that's all he did on the cross, then the problem still remains, doesn't it? Both Jew and Gentile were trapped, remember? Trapped in sin, creatures of wrath. We may be united, but what use is that? We're united, trapped together. Well, hear the power of the cross, verse 16 and 17. We are not just united to each other, we are united to God in Christ. He having destroyed the division between us, the law, he creates one new community and then he takes that community to the Father and reconciles it through his blood. This peace is the great hope for our world. And so Christ being the peacemaker, you see what he does in verse 17, he makes it his job now to proclaim that peace to this world. That first Easter Sunday, John 20, that's exactly his words to this world, peace be with you, peace be with you. And through the disciples and down through time as the Christian community has continued, that is our message to this world, peace to you in Christ. It is a message for those who are near and it is a message for those who are far a message that proclaims to our dislocated, unpeaceful world that those who trust in Jesus have together been granted access to the Father. You see it there in verse 17. The Son is back with his Father. The way back to the Father who loves us like a lost child because that is what we are. The way back to him has been opened. This community that we are a part of or a community that are welcomed by our Father in heaven. And if this morning you are still a long way off, if this morning you are still separated from Christ, then don't you think it is time to come home? Let's pray.